This podcast is brought to you by GoMoto, the service lane kiosk that grows your business. Want to increase revenue, improve the customer experience, and maximize service efficiency? Visit GoMoto.com to learn more. G-O-M-O-T-O.com. I'm Jason Stein, publisher of Automotive News, and this is Daily Drive for Wednesday, February 24th. It was a watershed moment for sure, and it was entirely symbolic of the roller coaster that the industry has been on these last 12 months. It's not often that a large public retailer gets the chance to announce fourth quarter results that nearly reach three digits. But that's where Penske Automotive Group rang in recently, when CEO Roger Penske announced a 97% earnings growth for the fourth quarter of 2020. The results were driven by same-store retail automotive margin expansion, growth in their commercial truck dealership profitability, and continued strong performance from Penske Transportation Solutions. Adjusted net income from continuing operations jumped 97% to $199 million. And if you were to ask Penske President Rob Kernick last April if he thought that was ever possible, the answer would have been an interesting one. Such is the state of play in the giant retail space, where COVID closures led to a COVID recovery, which has led to tight inventory thanks to a lack of semiconductors. It's been an interesting 12 months, and if you ask Rob Kernick if it's been the most challenging 12 months of his career, his answer is an easy one. We've reached Rob Kernick in suburban Detroit. Well, it's always good to be on the other end of the line with Rob Kernick. How are you, Rob? I'm terrific, thank you. You are terrific, and your uh, I guess the place to start would be the terrific results that, that you uh, uh, recorded for uh, 2020. It's not often that we get a chance to see a 97% jump in net income. I, I'm just guessing that you, you haven't seen that many times either, Rob. Yeah, that's exactly right. It would be a first for me in my career. <laughs> Tell me what was behind that. Well, you know, when you look at the quarter as a whole, I mean, look at the year as a whole. We, you know, we reported a, a record year, and then the fourth quarter was was unbelievably strong, and it was ninety seven percent increase in income. And we also had, you know, EBT a ninety eighty nine percent increase, and then a ninety nine percent increase in EPS. So, I mean, you, you don't you don't hear numbers like that at all, and um, and I think they were really terrific. And then you think back to um, you know March end of March and the beginning of April. Um, we would never have dreamed that we'd be talking about anything like that. But when you when you look at it, you know I think there are a number of things that um, really contributed to it. I think uh, reduction in S you know SGNA in our travel in particular, um, marketing, advertising, our loaner cars, vehicle maintenance expense, and you know and of course. Uh, of course, a substantial reduction from a personnel perspective. Um, our head count, you know, we reduced 3,300 heads to about 23,000, a little more than 23,000, which is about, uh, you know, 11, 12% of our total workforce. And then, of course, because we have constrained inventory, floor plan interest is lower. And with the strength of our balance sheet and the cash flow, we were able to um, pull out some some long-term debt and refinance some long-term debt, and which, you know, generated about $27 million annually in savings going forward. And we started to see the effect of that as the as the year came to an end. So, you know, I think it was those contribution of factors that really contributed to how how well we did from an income perspective. So, what's the lay of the land today when you look at at where you are and and maybe perhaps where the industry is now? Uh, I, I know there are some some cautionary um, uh, headwinds, but but how do you feel about where the industry is? 
uh, I, th- I feel good. I feel very good, as a matter of fact. I mean, I think, you, you know, we do, there are there are headwinds. So, you know, everybody talks about the chip as being an issue. Maybe we'll get into that. But, but you know, um, there, there, there is uh, – we've been dealing with constrained inventories for, you know, you know since almost a year now. And um, I think we've we've learned how to manage much of that, and there's a benefit to that, that being higher grosses, which we see the benefit, saw the benefit, and expect to continue to see the benefit of that, as well as you know the reduction of floor plan cost as a result of it. So, I think if inventory stay um, generally in check and you know and and not too constrained on the new car side, we should do. Um, we should do quite well, and, I, and hopefully we can maintain these kinds of grosses. I think the big uh, sort of management focus has to be on maintaining um, the reductions in the SG&A and making sure that we don't let it all roll back in. And I think we're, we're very, very disciplined, very, very disciplined in that respect. So let's talk about what you just brought up a moment ago, the chip issue. Where does that stand for you right now? How are you affected? Well, I think, you know, you, you, we, you go brand by brand, and that's what we've done. And I think it's hit some manufacturers a little bit harder than other manufacturers. And so we're watching it pretty closely. But I don't think we're – right now, we're not sounding alarm bells from an inventory perspective for us. And, again, there is some benefit to, to the constrained inventory. I think it's really a, very much a wait-and-see what happens, you know, you know, all the speculation, all the talk is, is that uh, inventory will rationalize, um, you know, at the, you know, maybe mid-year, uh, end of the second quarter. And, you know, I'm hoping that's the case and, and we can move forward without and put this whole thing behind us. Are there any areas that you're most concerned about related to the chips? Uh, not not necessarily. I mean, there's a couple brands, yeah, that are we're a little bit tighter on than we'd like to be and a couple models that we're a little bit tighter than we used to be, we'd like to be. But uh, but but we're we're managing through that. You know that all creates a good used opportunity for us too, because um, you know we have a lot of newer used, and um, I think that creates a nice used opportunity for us as well. Let's talk about a couple of your other used opportunities, and this was mentioned in the earnings call just about ten days ago. Penske plans to more than double revenue for its standalone used vehicle supercenter business over the next three years. You want to add more than 20 locations by the end of 2023. Uh, it's a move that, um, uh, you know, it, it is akin to what you've done in some other markets. Tell me about the importance of that. Well, I think it's, uh, I think it's really important. You know, we, we, are, we, we sort of launched the standalone used car strategy a couple of years ago. We acquired three different businesses, two in the UK, car people and car shop, and then one here in the U.S., car sense and uh, we've been we've been very focused on it and um have grown it pretty nicely you know currently we operate about 17 super centers and um you know it's a it's a no haggle pricing environment if you if you look at last year you know we retailed 53 on the old north of 53,000 units and so you know and our revenue was about a billion dollars so you know we we're doing quite well with it but and we look at it and we see the real opportunity from a used perspective so you know when you look out for the next three years what we really want to do is grow that business and i think what we talk about in our plan is is we want to grow the footprint from 17 locations to 40 by the end of 2023 and you know at that time being able to generate you know at least 150,000 in unit sales and and revenue of two and a half to three billion, which would really double the size of the business. You know, our goal is to make sure that we um, earn, you know, three and a half to four percent return, uh, and um, and and hopefully can generate EBT, you know, of a hundred million or more. 
So it, it, it's a it's a good business. We see it across the country. You know, you can see the focus on the youth and some of the great successes that the startups have had, as well as the ones who have been around for a while. And I think it's a very natural component to our business as a franchise dealer. We'll hear more from Penske President Rob Kernick after this message. Your service check-in process sets the tone for your customer's entire visit. Do your customers wait longer than five minutes to check in for service? Are your advisors presenting upsells to every customer, every time? How often is the opportunity for trade appraisals missed? When your service drive gets busy, these inefficiencies directly impact revenue. Give your customers the option to handle the entire check-in process themselves. From appointment scheduling through final confirmation, all in under two minutes. Customers have the experience they want while selling themselves which means your advisors are freed up to focus on profit-producing activities. It's a win-win for both CSI and your revenue. Introducing a smarter service link. GoMoto is the self-service kiosk designed to grow your business. If you're ready to start increasing revenue, improving the customer experience, and maximizing service efficiency today, visit GoMoto.com. That's G-O-M-O-T-O dot com. You mentioned a couple of those. I mean, the you know, Carvana for one gets a lot of headlines. What's your view on the model that exists out there? Well, I mean, the Carvana model I think is interesting and probably the most unique out of all of them because it's truly this online and uh, you know online experience. Um, so uh, you know, I think I think it's I think it's interesting. I mean, I think if you talk to a lot of traditional franchise dealers like us, you know, some the you know you you, you sit back and you say, is the customer really going to go entirely online? And you know, when we see our experience and you look at the penetration from a purely online transaction, I mean, the penetration is not overwhelming by any means, even though the tools are there. To, our tools are essentially there to do it. Now, Carvana sort of broke that mold, and um, they've been able to be very very successful on that and uh, you know and and good for them and they're getting rewarded for it um you know can that sort of creep its way into um into the franchise or into the other you know bigger standalone news i think the answer is probably yes you know there's so much focus on sort of the innovativeness of particular digital tools that companies are creating i think that's all interesting but in my view the digital tool is at some point just going to be a commodity it's going to be created by somebody and it's going to be sold to dealers like so many other tools are sold to dealers and so um and so that gets us all sort of on an equal playing field and then it's a matter of brand and integrity and the comfort with the customer dealing online with that particular company i think i think we're in a good position for that you're also launching a new online buying tool uh, yourselves at the U.S. Super Centers. And based on what you offer at your uh, Sittner stores in the U.K., what will that do for you? Well, I, I think that, get, that gets us in the game. In the U.K., it's, I mean, it's really very interesting because in the U.K., um, you know, they've been shut down, completely shut down three times, you know, twice last year, and now they're currently shut down. And um, they have a tool which we have sort of called or call click and collect, and um, we're able to we're able to move, you know, you know, a significant number of cars, especially in January, given where the industry was. We're able to move a number of cars um, and, and and keep our business going without the showrooms being being open at all. So I, I think the the digital tools are important, um, and I think that they are, um, uh, you know, that that's sort of the mode. That's the uh, the, the 
to train essentially to get us into the digital game. And, and you know, it is a constant focus of ours. Again, a lot of it is, does the customer ultimately accept it? You also plan to get into some franchised acquisitions again. Um, there's a lot of talk around that, especially with some of your competitors. Give me your, your own view on, on, on what the acquisition market looks like. And of course, there's been a, a ton of headlines um, by some of your you know contemporaries and colleagues uh, scooping up stores even in the metro Detroit area. Uh, what, what, are, what are your thoughts, Rob? So, I mean, if you go back in terms of what our acquisition strategy has always been, and we've always said we were opportunistic, when the right opportunity comes along, we'll do that. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll be in the game and we'll be a participant in it. And we're very select in not, not going out and doing large acquisitions where maybe we have a brand mix problem or where we have to dispose of stores. So we're, we're, we're pretty selective about it and have, have always have always been. The other thing is is that, you know, the, the cost of dealerships are very expensive right now. Dealerships are good. Multiples have increased some. And so the cost of acquisitions have been um, are, are significant, and at some point that's going to change, and you're going to see a downturn. Um, you're going to see a downturn in that. Notwithstanding that, you know we're 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 pretty focused on uh, one other thing too. You know we also don't have just automotive retail to grow with as well. You know we have our commercial vehicle truck business, which um, you know you can buy those dealerships at multiples that are meaningfully less than what you can buy the the auto say the auto retail the cars at. And then, um, and and your capex isn't as as steep as what you have on the on the franchise car side as well. So you know, I think uh, I, 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 we're we're in the game. I think you know we have a, a couple of open points that we're, we're we've opened. We, you know, we opened up the Chantilly uh, in Washington D.C. It's a phenomenal Porsche store. Um, it's our second point in the Washington D.C. market. We have a new Audi dealership that'll be uh, opened in Southern California, and then a Honda dealership. In, in Texas, right outside of Austin, um, and then you know we're we're sort of actively looking at what the pipeline of deals are and talking to people. And just a reference to that Porsche dealership in Washington, it's expected to generate you said fifty million dollars in annual revenue, which is phenomenal out of a single store. Um, yeah. And and then the other uh, markets that you mentioned as well, a combined hundred million dollars in revenue. There, there's there's a lot of um, growth potential in just the traditional dealer model that's been criticized for so long now, right, Rob? Oh, yeah, I think so. I mean, when you look at the industry as a whole, I mean, last I saw it was um, 8% consolidated, 92% unconsolidated. I mean, there's a there's a gigantic road for consolidation in this industry should we should we should we want to be you know more meaningful in it or you know more active in, in it or the other consolidators doing the same thing? I think it's a long time before it is um, it is it is you know much more narrow than that. There's just too much opportunity out there. And just finally, when you when you look at where 2021 is right now, where, where do you expect the year to come in? What's the what's your expectation in terms of auto sales? So well, you know, I, I, I see the. Um, you know what the uh, what the um, sort of the predictions are, and you know you saw January I think was at sixteen six on an annual SR, and and generally speaking sixteen is the expectation. Um, I, yeah, I think I think that is probably where I would see it coming in. Um, you know, after a tough year from a unit perspective, uh, much depends on what happens from an inventory perspective as well. You know, assuming it normalizes and 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 we're able to move the vehicles like we want to. Would you learn throughout? COVID here throughout the last 11, 12 months about your team, about the ability to work, um, and I, I guess lessons taken from this entire adventure. Yeah. 
I think number one is um, be adaptable. I mean, I think we're, we are, I think we were and we are, um, but, it, you know, we we had to change. We had to change a number of different things. We had to, we had to focus on how do you get the customer comfortable. How do you deliver the car without them coming in? We did things such as um, you know uh, Zoom, um, DocuPad rentals transactions, and so you know we we were very flexible. And I think our team did a great job of adapting to what the circumstances were and being able to move cars and keep ourselves in in business and then ultimately to the level of profitability that we were. Um, you know, I always used to say that um, 2008, November 2008, was probably the worst time in my career because we took out 10% of our workforce. You know, now I look at uh, what happened last April, and, you know, 10% of our workforce was nothing at that point. I mean, we were we were well north of that, of course, from a furlough and layoff perspective. We ended up about uh, 12%, 11 12% down from a headcount perspective. But, you know... The, what I always challenged people after 2008 and said, you know, um, you, you don't you don't want to get fat because it's very difficult to, to, to take that fat out. And so what I think we learned is, is that, look, at you know, we, we're operating great right now and almost at full steam and we have a lot less of a headcount. And, um, and you know, we got to be careful going forward to make sure that we don't let that SG&A creep back in. Rob, thanks so much for the update on Penske. We wish you the best of luck in the rest of 2021 and uh, beyond. Great. Thanks. Thanks, Jason. I appreciate you having me on. We reached Penske President Rob Kernick in suburban Detroit. And that's Daily Drive for Wednesday, February 24th. For breaking news, go to autonews.com. And for a library of 250 interviews, go to autonews.com slash daily drive. We'll be back Thursday. <laughs>